What did you guys make of these rumors? Could there be any truth behind them? They gave him that freedom to, to be what he couldn't be at McLaren, which was just to be himself. But why do some teams, some car company manufacturers create their own engines and others do not? Uh, I don't care how good the Red Bull's race base is. If it's stuck um, in traffic and uh, the other teams don't mess up their strategy, then there's every belief, there's every reason to believe that the, the Rebel won't be able to progress and, and win the race. Welcome to Unlapped. Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson gearing up for the iconic Monaco Grand Prix. Unfortunate that we were all free over this past weekend because Imola, of course, was canceled due to weather. The first cancellation that the three of us can ever remember happening due to weather. Um, but now we are gearing back up for a race weekend and a great one at that. You two are both going to be on the ground in Monaco. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Should be fun. Um, it's always one of the uh, more exciting ones to get along to. I mean, you can't beat South of France, yachts, <laughs> sunshine, racing cars, can you? But um, hopefully the race will live up to it too. We'll see. Yeah, it is such a strange place to go racing. I mean, my first Monaco Grand Prix was 2018. Uh, no, sorry, 2019. And um, I remember you have this vision of Monaco in your head of what the race is going to be like. And then you arrive at the Principality and it's even wilder than you think because the roads somehow seem narrower, the... You know, the people seem even better looking, you know, uh, everyone's <laughs> better better dressed. The yachts look even bigger. It's just crazy. So it's yeah, it's an amazing place to go. So for someone who has recently gone, Nate, would it would you say it lives up to the hype? I think as a as a de as a venue. Yeah, I mean, we can, you know, the race itself, maybe that's something that's a bit more of an open question. But um, as a place to go racing, I mean, I think we've said it before, like if you tried to put on the Monaco Grand Prix today from scratch, it would be very difficult to do that. I mean, obviously F1's done that with Vegas and kind of shut off a city, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy when one of the cool things we can do is we can go trackside and we can see these cars come by. When you go into the tunnel and you see these cars come past or into the swimming pool chicane at the end, it's unbelievable how fast and how, you know, how tightly packed in they are. Um, and I think a lot of people agree that Saturday in, in Monaco is one of the special days on the F1 calendar. So that alone is kind of worth the, Maybe not the price price of admission. It depends what people are paid to get into Monaco. You know, if you've if you've had to buy a yacht to get to Monaco, maybe maybe you might not say that. But yeah, it's it's an incredible place, and um, you know, if people are lucky enough to get to go, I think it is always worth it. Well, I know I can say for myself, and I'm sure some of our viewers and listeners that we'll be living vicariously through the two of you. Uh, I found it interesting over this past weekend, without a race in Emola how quickly these drivers can find other things to do and how to fill their time. We saw Valtteri Bottas, obviously cycling. Um, Yuki Tsunoda, I thought, was so commendable and admirable for hanging back and helping the emergency servers with services with cleanup. Um, what did you make of some of the things that you saw from Yuki, of course, because he was on the ground, um, but some of the other drivers and what they did um, over what was supposed to be the Emola weekend? Well, Yuki lives in Faenza. Um, he moved there when um, Franz Tost, the Alpha Tauri team principal, was a bit worried about <laughs> what he was getting up to <laughs> in his own time. So he was brought to Faenza to uh, to keep him uh, keep a watch on him. And um, uh, yeah, I think he I think he really enjoys living there. Um, he said that a number of times. And so that is his hometown now. I mean, obviously he's mm -hmm. from Japan, but uh, that's where he lives. So 
I, it was it was great to see him uh, muck in. We should also have a shout out for Josh Cruz, who works at Alpha Tower. He also lives there. Um, who was in that photo with Yuki uh, shoveling up the? I guess it's just mud and everything that gets left behind. Um, Nasty stuff as well uh, when a when a town floods. So that was uh, that was deeply impressive that he was he was kind of getting involved and wasn't just on the next flight out of out of the area to go and do something else. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the drivers, I, I guess it is, you know, it's like any weekend off they have. Um, it's quite valuable time. I think they combine it with a bit of training. They've always got to keep training and everything. But for them, given how packed this schedule is, it was probably quite nice just to get a weekend um, away from everything and to uh, to kind of focus again on on what's coming up with Monaco and Spain, two races in a row. And then, you know, it keeps coming thick and fast after that as well. I'm surprised none of them went down to Rome to see Springsteen at the weekend because he was playing. <laughs> That's where I'd have gone. Um, no, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's always cool to see what, I mean, it, this was kind of what happened during COVID, you know, all these races would be cancelled and suddenly there's obviously added fascination on what they're doing. Um, yeah, I was going to shout out. So Josh Cruz is one of our friends. Um, I mean, we used to travel with him. Uh, he used to be a journalist. Now he's head of digital, um, at AlphaTauri. And he actually was sharing with us some of the videos from Fianza, you know, apartments just fully flooded. So, you know, obviously, you know, it just kind of reinforced the fact that, you know, it was the right call to not race there. So I think the weather, things had improved by the weekend, but clearly things were still in a bad state. And um, just on that point about Yuki as well, um, I saw Nick DeVries was getting a bit of a hard time from fans because they were like, you know, Yuki's in Faenza and you're not. You know, why is that? And De- uh, DeVries did actually try and get into Faenza. Uh, you know, he was on his way there for the race. Uh, and I think it was a landslide prevented him from getting in or getting in on the road he was going to. So he stayed with some, um, I think it was some, guys from mclaren gave him a room but he was advised don't come you know if you come in it will be dangerous so he he left so i felt it was a bit you know there was a, a you know a bit of a misconception of what was, what was going on um but yeah great to see yuki mucking out and um weirdly it was just weird seeing him doing it in his team kit as well which i thought just yeah. added to the kind of just the yuki levels of it as well which was great one of my favorite scenes from drive to survive and i can't remember which season it was it was early on but when he moves fans uh do you remember it's because they want him to work out more and he's like running through the hills and he hates it. And he just, yeah. you know, basically arguing with his personal trainer about how he doesn't want to do it. And they're trying to change his diet and get him serious about the off track things that he has to do to stay committed, which that was a, a good insight as to a young driver trying to kind of transition to the big leagues of, of what's necessary and the expectations that these teams have. Yeah. And his, so his trainer now is Michael Italiano, who, I think played golf with uh with Lawrence. Uh was it in No, it wasn't me, it was the other Lawrence. You're thinking no, sorry, it was the other Lawrence and, and Chris Mudlin. <laughs> sorry, I was, my brain suddenly had a, a Lawrence and, and Italiano had played. Um, but there was a great uh he was on the WTF one podcast recently and he said he's never known an athlete, whether it's be driver or anyone else he's worked with, who is so obsessed with food. He says whenever they're <laughs> training, Yuki will be like halfway through a run, he's like, right, what are we having for dinner? And Italiano's like Come on, all right, dude. Like, that's at the end. But he says it doesn't. It's not a detriment to you know. Mm-hmm. Yuki is committed to it. He's just constantly thinking about food, so he's just such a difficult person to root against. Yuki, it's his reward. That's why he's constantly yeah. thinking. But once you complete it, then obviously you get to enjoy. All right. Well, remember if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five star review wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to check out our interactive visual explainer on ESPN.com slash F1 right now. It's got concepts, technology, terminology, um, breakdowns. It's a great X's and O's if you're new to the sport and want to learn more. So check that out on ESPN.com right now.
Let's dive into some news heading into Monaco. Um, my job on this podcast as host is to present um, facts, but also some rumors to the two experts, Lawrence and Nate, and then they either support those said rumors that are swirling or they debunk them. So recent rumors have been uh, surfacing over across the pond in your all's backyard that Ferrari is preparing to offer a $40 million contract to Lewis Hamilton. Uh, obviously, Lewis Hamilton has not re-signed with Mercedes. This was reported by the Daily Mail. So say what you want about that publication. What did you guys make of these rumors? Could there be any truth behind them? It's possible. Um, you know, Ferrari may be preparing to offer Lewis Hamilton a deal. I think when people read that, they kind of got the idea that either Lewis was already going to Ferrari or was in uh, deep contract negotiations with Ferrari. And uh, from what I understand, they're not at that stage yet. It still seems very much like Lewis is entirely intent on staying uh, with Mercedes. I did an interview with him at uh, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, and he talked about how, sure, he's thought about driving for Ferrari before. He's even thought about going back to McLaren and ending his career there. But every time he gets into that thought process, um, he just comes back to the idea of staying at Mercedes and wanting to work with them, continue to work with them, win another championship with them, work with the Mercedes brand after he retires from Formula One as well. So beyond this contract that he's currently negotiating with Mercedes, and he is actually negotiating a contract with Mercedes right now, um, he's looking at where he goes after that. But there's nothing stopping Ferrari approaching Lewis during this period, you know, believing that maybe there's an opportunity for him to go there. And it's not unusual for teams uh, to be in touch with driver managers, sometimes the drivers themselves, but often just the manager to understand what the situation is. Is the driver available? Are there is there any interest away from the team there at the moment? And so that bit is possible. I have no idea if it's true or not, um, but, you know, that that could be where this story has come from. On the other hand, um, the way this story was written, $40 million contract and all this kind of stuff, that's roughly what we think Lewis is on right now. Well, the same publication, the Daily Mail, have written that Lewis was being offered $65 million by Mercedes earlier in the year. So, you know, I don't know how the mass works up on that and uh, and the idea that $40 million from Ferrari would lure him away. Because the other factor here being that is Ferrari really a better place to be than Mercedes? If you're coming towards the end of the career and all you want is a world championship, obviously the best place to win world championships at the moment is Red Bull, but Lewis isn't going to Red Bull. So um, if he was looking at it purely from a selfish, where do I win a championship point of view, would Ferrari make sense in that sense? Probably not. If he's looking at it from a uh, where he wants to be, where he feels at home, Mercedes is clearly, clearly the answer. The only thing that I guess could get him to go there is if he had always wanted to go to Ferrari, but he said on a number of occasions that he is not worried about finishing his career at Ferrari. He's not worrying about having a career and not driving for Ferrari at any time. So um, it doesn't really add up, but it's a good story, isn't it? Going into Monaco weekend, one of the best drivers in the world with the most famous team, you know, let the rumors flow. Basically what I'm hearing, Nate, is that Lawrence is telling me to take this article and story with a pinch of salt. Yeah, a, a few pinches of salt, I think, is what Lawrence was saying. Um, I would say the same as well. I think everything Lawrence mm -hmm. said is spot on. I think one thing that's interesting as well about this is, um, you know, even when you kind of get beyond all the numbers and, and what could or couldn't be true, is I just can't see Lewis and Ferrari being a fit. I think Ferrari's still in a bit of a state of flux, you know, with everything going on behind the scenes. But one of the things that Lewis has always loved about Mercedes is that Toto Wolff and Nicky Lauda, when they sat him down in 2012, 
one of the big things they said to him, as well as the fact that our car is going to be pretty great from 2014 onwards, <laughs> they gave him that freedom to to be what he couldn't be at McLaren, which was just to be himself, you know, to to wear what he wants, to go to a lot more things away from racing. He didn't have to be in that corporate mold that Ron Dennis wanted him. And if you think about Ferrari as a company, as a team, I can't see them giving him the same freedom. If you see, you know, Charles and Carlos, I know they're very, very popular, but they're very, they're very much about the party line. I mean, think about the amount of times last year Carlos came out and said, I don't know why everyone's making fun of our strategy. Our strategy is, you know, there's nothing wrong with our strategy. It was like, well, clearly there is something wrong. And Charles, even when he's clearly been upset, you know, has kind of, he's been very careful about what he said. And I think that the two of those guys suit that corporate mold at Ferrari very, very well. I just don't see that working for Lewis. You know, he's at the stage of his career where he doesn't need to do that, doesn't need to play that game. Um, and yeah, I think, like Lawrence said, home for him is Mercedes. So I'd be really surprised if um, he joined this Ferrari team. It'd be different if Ferrari was, you know, clearly the, the the team that could challenge Red Bull. But I don't, I don't see that being the case. So um, who knows? I, I also couldn't, you know, stand it up or knock it down as a as a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people I spoke to in Formula One, you know, who who could have known something were like, I haven't heard anything about this. But I think everybody agreed with what Lawrence said. Like, can you imagine? Lewis going to Ferrari it would be an amazing story. Um, just can't quite see it happening. I also think there's there's some stuff going on here. If Ferrari has leaked that, you know, are they putting pressure mm-hmm. on Carlos Sainz? Are they trying to get, you know, are they trying to get Leclerc to sign a new deal? You know, there's all kinds of things. It's the same, same in a lot of sports, isn't it? When when these stories come out, you also have to think of, well, why who does this benefit this story being out sure. here? Um, so I think there's a I think there's a lot else going on as well. That's a fair point. And it's a hedge, right? I mean, you write this article and you can say, well, they did prepare an offer, but then they never yeah, then, ended up putting it in front of him or they put it in front yeah. of him. And actually, Lewis said no. So you can write it and garner all the attention and the clicks. And yet nothing actually has to come to fruition. And it doesn't hurt you as a writer or a publication for putting it out. It's just driving eyeballs. Uh, it's interesting. You bring up Carlos signs logistically here and contractually, both Carlos and Charles are under contract through next season, correct? So this would be a case where if something were to happen and Lewis Hamilton in some semblance decides he wants to drive a Ferrari, they just have to buy Carlos Sainz. I'm assuming it would be Carlos Sainz. They just have to buy Carlos Sainz out of his contract at that point. Or Charles the goes other, the other that, way. That, that was one. Yeah. The other theory within the article was that Leclerc would go to Mercedes and therefore there would be almost like a straight swap. I mean, even if Ferrari were considering, I, I just can't see why Ferrari would do that because mm-hmm. you're ending up with um, a driver who's very good in Lewis Hamilton, but they know right now they probably won't have the car in the next um, couple of years realistically to, to to make the most of that. Whereas Leclerc, they've got potentially long-term. He has this deep relationship with Ferrari. So um, that side of it didn't really seem to make any sense. And then the other theory within the article was exactly what you said. You um basically give science a push and science has been underperforming recently so as nate said that could be a reason why this story has emerged right now but um either way you know i it, it just doesn't it's kind of not worth getting into those details because i just cannot say happening yeah wild okay fascinating we'll keep our ear to the ground and uh keep i guess clicking on the daily mail for now Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Something, <laughs> Lawrence, that you've been privy to, though, um, that has obviously been big news as of late, is that Aston Martin and Honda have signed a deal to use the Honda engine starting in 2026. Why does this partnership work? Why did they want to move forward together, Aston Martin moving on from the Mercedes engine? Yeah, it's, it, it came as, um, I don't know whether a surprise, because if you think about it logically, it does make a lot of sense, but it mm -hmm. kind of came um, as, as, as a big news story. And one of the big things here is that Honda is continuing in Formula One beyond 2025, which is when their current deal with Red Bull comes to an end. We know that Red Bull is making its own powertrains and they're putting a Ford sticker on them and they're having some technology transfer from Ford. So um, the Honda Red Bull relationship was at an end at the end of 2025, will be at the end of the end of 2025. But Honda have decided that there's still potential in Formula One for what they want to do. Um, the switch to renewable fuels and also the um, emphasis on a lot more power from the energy recovery system were two things that they think now aligns with what they want uh, to be part of their kind of branding and messaging um, around the world. And Formula One is a very good way of spreading that. So then you look at well, who are the options, who are the teams available and uh, teams that do not have their own in-house engine uh, uh, production. So at the moment you have um, Ferrari have that, Mercedes have that, Alpine have that, and of course Red Bull will have that. So you've got four of the big teams in Formula One already with their own engine manufacturer. And then you start to look at who else? Well, the team that has emerged quite clearly as the one uh, with a lot of potential and probably the most ambition and the funds to realise that potential is Aston Martin. And so it very quickly makes sense that the two go together because when you look at Aston Martin and all the investment they've put into their new factory, uh, building a new wind tunnel, obviously getting Fernando Alonso on board. We can talk about that later with the Honda thing because that's an interesting subject. Um, but the one thing they were missing, uh, you know, despite having these great designers, these great uh, technical people involved, was their own engine and also their own gearbox and their own rear suspension, all of which they currently take from Mercedes. And while the Mercedes stuff is very, very good, um, to win and to beat a team, you know, really you want to be designing all of that yourself. You want it 
so that your chassis is um, beautifully uh, kind of crafted around the engine and vice versa. And you can't have that if you're a customer. Um, and those, even if it's a small gain you get from things like that, and it's not, it's usually quite a big gain because you're talking about the whole concept of the car as well. Um, that's what Aston Martin were fundamentally lacking compared to the top teams. So this yeah. is a step that I think Aston Martin needed to make. They weren't in a position to build their own engines. They don't actually build their own engines in the road cars that they produce. They take them from Mercedes or in the case of the Valkyrie Cosworth. And so um, they needed really to partner with someone who had all the technology and and, and all the knowledge. Um, and uh, the kind of company that is floating around wanting to stay in F1 currently produces arguably the best engine in F1, certainly one of the best, is Honda. And so it was a, a perfect match. Um, and the other team I should mention as well, which is coming into F1 in 2026 is Audi with their own engines. So we've got all these different engine manufacturers. And I think if you're going to be a serious contender from 2026 onwards, you need to have um, a bespoke engine for your car. And that's what Aston Martin have now. Really quickly, Lawrence, and I know the obvious reasoning behind this would be money, but why do some teams, some car company manufacturers create their own engines and others do not? Do you think that it's money that stops other teams. They want to get involved, but just can't. Or, or what would be the reasoning to create your own engine? And what would be the reason to go the path of not creating your own engine? Money is the biggest issue. Um, mm -hmm. To build a power unit facility alongside your um, factory that creates the chassis is, is a huge, huge investment. So Mercedes, for example, which for a long time have had the best power unit in, in Formula One uh, over the last kind of decade or so, um, they bought um, that that engine facility from a company called Ilmore, which existed before. And then um, they, you know, it took them a long, long time. They built some brilliant engines during the 2000s as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's just, you need a huge amount of technology uh, already existing. They already exist within the sport. You need to have that. You need to have the IP to it. You need to have the people there. And it's just this huge, huge operation. And so um, Ferrari will always build their own engines because that, was essentially what they were doing uh, right from the very start in 1950 when uh, when they were first on the scene. And then um, Renault historically have been in, in Formula One for a long time. They've got their facility in France. But to have that facility in the first place, it's such a huge investment. And so um, it usually comes down to car manufacturers and having the technology. Because there is some technology transfer between um, the F1 engines and what ends up on the road. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not directly linked usually, but they're, they're, there is certainly some transfer there. And there's also a huge amount of marketing benefits there. So really, you need uh, an OEM, a, a car manufacturer, um, to have the basically the resource to do it and the willingness to do it, the technology to do it, the right people to do it, all of that is is such a hard thing to get hold of. And um, yeah, you know, uh, car brands are very different in the way they're set up. A car brand like Aston Martin, um, while it's an incredibly um, iconic name in 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 cars, you know, it's it's a company that has really struggled um, in the past couple of decades, decades or say, just to exist and uh and so it's you know slowly stripped down and it's being built back up now that Lawrence Stroll is involved but um yeah from a building their own engines point of view like I said they don't even do it in their road cars so to do it in yeah. uh Formula One as well would be just such a huge investment yeah it sounds like such a massive undertaking just because of all the different areas that you laid out I'm interested because the progress that Aston has made in just one year Nate has been unbelievable that's obviously been one of the biggest storylines this season thus far um, outside of Red Bull's dominance. Now you look to the future. 
you throw in the Honda engine, that partnership, what is the potential if Fernando Alonso is still sitting in that seat come 2026? What is the ceiling for this team? Yeah, it's huge. And um, I think there's still just, again, it's another reinforcement of just how serious Lawrence Stoll has been. You know, Lawrence summed all that up really, really well. Um, yeah, I think at some point, you know, we'll, in these next couple of years, you'll probably see Mercedes, um, maybe not beating Aston regularly, but you're going to see the cap on Aston's performance because of that situation where they can't build their own engine. So I think okay. it's huge. And I think that um, it's a really exciting time for Formula One. You know, as Lawrence mentioned, Audi coming in, Honda now as well. It's going to be super competitive, you would imagine. Um, you know, when those, uh, when those, well, I say new, not new, but quote unquote new with Honda coming back in again. Um, so yeah, I, th I mean, it's super exciting. And and that's the crazy thing is that Aston has gone from in the space of six months has gone from being a team that really we we were all looking at thinking, well, this team is really just not really living up to the hype. You know, that what was it last year? Finished sixth or I think it was seventh actually. And now they're you know they're they're the only team that have, have regularly challenged Red Bull or, or at least regularly been on the podium, mm -hmm. um, and now have this incredible uh, partnership coming up. So yeah, I think they've they've done huge things, and I would love to have been in the room when the name the the Honda thing was first pitched to Fernando Alonso because you know he's got some interesting history there, um, and I think that's going to be a really interesting question for him on Thursday. Is obviously you know he signed this deal for I think it is until twenty twenty five. I think Fernando Alonso is just going to stay racing until he's not quick enough to do it. And given how good he is right now, I don't actually, I thought that this contract would be the last one he signed, you know, the one for, for this cycle. But if he gets to that time, and especially if Aston are right there and ready to win a championship, you'd feel like he'd be ready to do that. Um, but I don't know, maybe Honda have said like, you know, the proviso of this deal is you don't sign this guy because the belief has been because of the way his relationship broke down with Honda when they were with McLaren. There's Can rumors you that really quickly remind viewers listeners yeah, yeah. who so, are unfamiliar with this so fernando alonso rejoined mclaren for a second stint in 2015 and that coincided with honda and mclaren linking up which was you know a very very famous partnership from from um you know from decades ago and it was a complete disaster you know they came in a year late they were it, to say they were off the pace was an understatement you know they were so so slow and we got to this stage where often you'd see fernando alonso struggling to even get out of q1 the car was so bad and um, probably the lowest moment of that was, I think it was the 2015 Japanese Grand Prix, Honda's home race. Uh, Fernando Alonso over the radio. We know how much Fernando Alonso loves a radio message that he knows is going to get broadcast over and over again. But he called the engine a GP2 engine. So for you know, GP2 is now Formula Two. So people who have have joined you know Formula One more recently be like comparing Honda's engine to an engine from the lower formula. Hugely insulting to say to an engine manufacturer even worse to say it at their home race mm. and it really soured it started to sour things between uh honda and how they viewed fernando alonso he actually stayed with mclaren for a few more years um and they eventually split you know and i think that you know clearly they've been better since then and so have honda honda you know they, they kind of went different ways honda's done much better without mclaren and mclaren's kind of made progress but what was interesting about that was when fernando alonso took his year out um and when he went to try and do the uh, indy 500 again uh the the common belief was and you know this is you know has been widely reported was he did it in 2017 he did it for andretti with mclaren and honda when he did it in 2019 uh it couldn't be honda it had to be chevrolet because honda said there's no way we're giving that guy one of our engines so and he didn't qualify that year so it became a huge thing you know and and, and they and they didn't let him do it so obviously time heals all those things and there's clearly much bigger things at play between aston martin and honda 
than whether Fernando Alonso will be driving in 2026 uh, or not. But it's just interesting that this career could come full circle back for Alonso, um, back to Honda. Because I think I think when I when I first saw this news story, I thought I thought can you can you imagine Fernando Alonso winning a championship with a Honda engine? It would just be given everything that's happened before it. It would be, it's it would be so bizarre to think of. So we'll see. We're obviously getting way ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, I think whoever is driving in that seat, I think that seat is valuable anyway. If Fernando Alonso does walk away for whatever reason, suddenly, you know, you've got a massive, massive kind of seat there that I think every driver is going to want to to be in. So I, I didn't want to interrupt there, but um, the HRC president, Honda Racing Corporation president, Koji Watanabe, was asked this, like, could you work with Alonso? And he said that he could, that, you know, it wouldn't be an issue. Like, it's all kind of, they're just looking to the future and... Uh, going forward. So so publicly, at least, uh, <laughs> they buried the hatchet. But it's also a few years away, isn't it? So there, there yeah. is the reality that in a few years' time, what's the situation? Who will Aston Martin have available? You know, Will they have a decision to make? Um, Honda, uh, Watanabe also said that um, they would not have any influence on, on the driver um, pairing, which is interesting because, of course, in the past, they've always been keen to have a Japanese driver in one of their cars. At the moment, we've got Yuki Tsunoda. He came into... F1 with big backing from uh, Honda and then ended up at AlphaTauri. Well, they say they, w- they won't have any influence over it. And that's also interesting, of course, because uh, Lance Stroll looks like he's got a guaranteed seat there as long as he wants to race in Formula 1, being the owner, uh, sorry, the uh, son of the owner, uh, Lawrence Stroll. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, where they are at that time in 2026, still a few years away. And then um, also where the driver market is, because if you've got someone like Lando Norris as a long term prospect, you know, I could imagine he'd be quite keen to uh, to move. Because it, the other thing we look at here is um, now you've got so many teams with their own power units, uh, or you know, power units being developed specifically for them. You got to look at the teams that don't have it, and you know, McLaren is one of them. And we don't know yet what McLaren are going to do from twenty twenty six onwards, whether they'll stay with Mercedes or not. But, um, you know, that's a question for someone like Norris when he's looking at his long-term future. Where do I see myself landing? Will it be Audi? Will it be Aston Martin? Will an offer come up from, you know, one of the existing top three teams, Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull? So um, it, it does create a lot of, a whole other podcast that we can probably do at some point over, over where drivers will be looking to position themselves uh, in 2026. And- Why? Did- Go ahead, Nate. Yeah, just and on that point, I think it's a great point with McLaren because Zach Brown's been very good at getting sponsors on the car. You know, they've they've done a really good job of doing that. But I think it puts real pressure on them now to to like what is their step? Because so much Zach Brown has placed a lot of emphasis on this wind tunnel that's coming in for McLaren mm-hmm. this year. We know that one of the reasons Lando has stayed around at McLaren is because he believes that vision of 2025. So not next year, but the year after. Zach Brown says, with that wind tunnel and with what we'll be able to do with the car. We can challenge for a championship by early 2025. Lando's going to know whether that's true or not, you know. And if you think about the way Formula One contracts work, I think it'll be, I think it'll be right there, you know. If 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 McLaren hasn't lived up to that, he can he can look and say, well, my chances with a a factory team versus a, a customer team, if McLaren is still going to be that, um, are much better. So that's going to be, I think, that year 2025, just off track alone. There's going to be so much intrigue about what's mm-hmm. happening the following season. Um, feel like almost feel like I want to you know push fast forward on that uh, and get there quicker. 
Why is that? Because Red Bull has won every race thus far, and well, well, yeah, maybe because Red Bull's going to win quite a few races. Nothing uh, wrong with Red Bull, but it just it just isn't as fun, is it? When one, one team's winning, like when Mercedes is winning, or when Red Bull before them. Is it fair for me to view Honda as a company that flirts with staying in the sport and getting out of the sport often? Yeah, yeah. that's very fair. I mean, and they get out at the wrong moment. Suggests that every um, time. Okay. Yeah, there, there, there's been a bit of that. I mean, so. Even recently, you know, we saw um, them pull out and they were meant to pull out last year and they were still going to supply Red Bull with engines, but we had this engine freeze came in, come in so that no one had to develop the engines any further. I mean, there were a number of very good reasons for that, but one of those was that Honda would continue to supply Red Bull, but they didn't want to keep, keep shoveling money into uh, this engine formula, which initially they said didn't line up with their plans of um, electrifying all their, all their road cars. Um, but these things do change, these wider company priorities. And I think what they have seen from uh, the success they've had with Red Bull, um, that was a decision taken before they'd even won the first championship uh, with Red Bull, um, is, is that there's a lot of potential in this. And so now mm. we look at the Red Bull and the Honda sticker is back on it. It wasn't on it initially in 2022. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of pushing back. And I, I think it's great, though, because the one thing about Honda is that when they have been in F1, it's always been massively entertaining. They've either been hugely successful um, or it's been a bit of a disaster, as it was like Nate was uh, explaining um, when they first came back from McLaren in 2015. And um, I think a lot of that comes from them having just a very different approach to engineering and and, and figuring out and finding answers to, uh, to problems. And that really does um, create some incredible ingenuity over the years that Honda have come up with e even the 2015 engine which was mm. such a failure was was a fantastic piece of engineering because of the way they tried to um uh, get the turbocharger kind of existing within the v of the engine which everyone else thought was absurd and it <laughs> proved to be but it was like it was a wonderful idea you know it's just um so I, I think having a company like Honda is important and for them they've always said as well you know it's not they, they try to say it's not a marketing exercise, it's an R&D exercise. We're doing this to learn, to learn as an engineering exercise. And I think that is so deeply rooted within Honda, that approach to motorsport and to Formula One, mm -hmm. that when they do get involved, um, you get some 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 very good results on the way. So I think it's brilliant news that we've uh, that we've got a manufacturer, especially as so many of the other manufacturers are European-based, to have a Japanese one there. Um, yeah. It's really good for the sport. No doubt. Something that I, I really want to point out quickly here is that Pierre Gasly has moved away from the risk of a Formula One race ban uh, on Monday after dropping two points of the 10 penalty points accrued um, for a couple of minor offenses. Well, not a couple, um, multiple minor offenses over the past year. Nate, can you just really quickly explain the structure of penalty points and at what point would a driver receive a ban because they have so many? Yeah, so... A bit like us, you know, if if, um, if you get points on your license, I'm not sure if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, you can get points on your license. Um, <laughs> that same system now exists in Formula One. Uh, and if you have 12 at any point through a 12-month a rolling period, you get a race ban. So Gasly was on 10. Um, and I think the the most, or the, the, the furthest away that he had was he collided with Stroll. I think it was either in Miami or Spain last year, he got two penalty points. Those expire exactly a year later. And because we didn't have Imola, and I, th I believe the two weekends uh, were a year apart, that has basically been eliminated. So he's dropped down to eight points, which is still more than anyone else has. Um, mm -hmm. But so basically, you know, it, it's a way that basically 
consistently making mistakes eventually has a ban. Um, I think it was brought in after there was 2012, Grosjean kept, um, he crashed into Fernando Alonso famously when he nearly took Fernando Alonso's head off. Then he, I think it was the Japanese. He did get a race ban for that one. but um, He did, didn't he? That's right. And there was Uh, more after that. They, they, they kind yeah. of put in a system whereby uh, if you are consistently making mistakes and and basically putting other drivers in danger, uh, that was the idea, then uh, then it would you'd accrue points and you'd be banned. But the danger was as well that a lot of stuff, which wasn't actually that dangerous, just things like track limits and so on, started adding up points. And so the whole system is uh, is undergoing a bit of a rethink. Um, but Gasly mm-hmm. has come closest to, uh, to breaching those 12 points in F1, but it looks like He'll probably get away with it now because he's now down to eight. So it's going to have to be something really big. And that, those points will drop off as we go through the year. He arguably should have got two in Australia. I think he was pretty lucky not to get two for colliding with his teammate. So I think all in all, Pierre Gasly uh, can be pretty pleased. He's gone two down rather than two up. Yeah, right. Because it should have been. A little bit of breathing room, but uh, hopefully he has a clean and efficient race in Monaco, which means it's time to preview the race. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Let's start with the fact that a lot of these teams are bringing upgrades to Imola and that Imola is a entirely different circuit and racetrack compared to what we're going to see this weekend in Monaco. Lawrence, how do the upgrades that we were anticipating, particularly for Mercedes, because that obviously got the most hype uh, from what they plan on bringing to Italy. How does that change things for teams bringing upgrades because they didn't get to implement them a week earlier in Imola? It depends. So teams tend to bring two different types of upgrades to cars. There's pure performance upgrades, which have been put in the wind tunnel and are just adding downforce usually to the car or solving other issues with the car. And then you have track-specific upgrades, um, which are what they say on the tin. They they are designed to to 
work in the certain track, you know, or a certain track that is coming up next. So Monza is a very obvious example of that. You get very skinny rear wings uh, on the cars, and that's to shed the downforce and increase top speed because we have so many straights there. Now, with the Mercedes ones, well, those were pretty much all just performance upgrades, and they're also fairly fundamental to the car itself. So um, even though it would have been better to understand them at a track like Imola, where you would have had three practice sessions to get your head around it on a fairly normal track, they're still going to go to Monaco, and they're still going to be on the car in Monaco, because um, in theory, they make the car quicker, regardless of, of, of the track. And because they're so fundamental we're talking about front suspension here we're talking about a change of the side pods which completely changes the airflow around the car and we're talking about um a floor revision to go hand in hand with those as well um all of that should just be adding downforce and the one thing you need at monaco is downforce now there may be a few other track specific stuff which they already have planned for monaco which get bolted on as well um so there might be additional bits which are which are you know uh in monaco and would not have been in imola but um, the big upgrade that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and will it sort Mercedes out and allow them to close the gap to Red Bull a little bit, you know, um, those will all be there. So um, a lot of it will just depend on on the teams and, and what they have planned at, at those races. But anything that is a pure performance upgrade, a big step planned in the progression of a car will still exist. Uh, if it was going to be an Imola, it will still be in Monaco. Ferrari was anticipating bringing a few upgrades to Imola. Was that correct? I think so. Um, we didn't get uh, we get a very handy sheet through from the FIA on the Friday of each <laughs> race weekend uh, that lists every single little bit they were going to do. Now, I think they were going to bring some pieces uh, to uh, to Imola. I'm not entirely sure what they were and whether they'll be in Monaco. I suspect they will be. Uh, but then there was also some talk about Spain being a big one for them uh, in terms okay. of an upgrade where they were hoping to make a big step. So um, I would have thought uh, anything that yeah they had again for performance in Imola will still be on the car in Monaco. It'll just be harder to understand it and test it. I ask because this is obviously Charles Leclerc's home race. Um, Ferrari fans probably want to forget, but if you don't remember last year, uh, the Monaco Grand Prix was pretty heartbreaking for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari in general. Nate, he didn't get to right the wrongs from Miami and Imola, so he's had to wait these two weeks. I don't know if you are able to just move past it or if you're just sitting there for two weeks thinking and thinking and going back and watching film and rehashing every mistake that was made. How would you believe Charles Leclerc is entering into his home race and what are the expectations you have for him? Yeah, well, I'd hope that this can be kind of a reset button moment for, for Charles this season because you're right, you know, had a pretty tough weekend in Miami. Imola, you know, home race for Ferrari was a really nice chance to kind of, you know, get some good momentum going. Coming to Monaco, I mean, I guess he's just been, he's just went back to Monaco. I guess he's just been there for an extra couple of days than he would have been normally. Um, but yeah, there's this curse that uh, kind of exists around Leclerc. So for people listening who might not who might not know that, Charles never, not only has he never won in Monaco in four F1 attempts, he's never been on the podium. He finished fourth last year when he was on pole. He got pole in 2019, uh, sorry, no, uh, 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. But then he crashed at the end of qualifying, which ruined his gearbox, meant he didn't even start that race, which to me was the worst of, of all of them. And then he had incidents in uh, in 19 and 18. Um, and even in 2017, when he was in Formula, One, uh, Formula 2, uh, he had two races uh, and he didn't finish either of them either. So he's literally never finished uh, his home race. So I don't know with him whether I think Charles can be we know how self-critical he is. I don't know how much this kind of plays on his mind when he's coming up to this race, but you could tell last year that, that he places a huge amount of pressure on himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does that anyway, but I think for this race, there's 
you know, he really, I, I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but because they want to win, you know, drivers want to win all the time, but you can tell how much Charles Leclerc wants to win the Monaco Grand Prix. And you do feel that sometimes maybe that's not a great thing for a driver, but in his defense last year, there was no mistake really made. The, you know, the error was on the Ferrari side, really, it was, you know, the, the way the pit stops played out, Red Bull and Perez especially really caught people out. But Charles all weekend was fantastic and didn't really deserve to not, you know, to not even be on the podium. So I think he can take some solace from that coming back. Um, and hopefully just the good vibes of that home race for him is enough to to propel him forward. I think he's always been good there. And actually, I think that, you know, we can get into this now, like the, the nature of Monaco always kind of brings the field closer together anyway, or at least it kind of, it's a bit against what you've seen so far, even though I don't think Charles is as, is kind of as hotly tipped as he might have been in like last year or the year before for this race. I think he's still got a great chance of doing something just purely because, you know, if you can nail the qualifying lap, if you can, if you can get yourself really high up the grid, it's so difficult to overtake in Monaco that can set the race. Even if you're not the, you know, the fastest race car, if you get yourself ahead of a, a faster race car, it's very difficult to get by. So um, yeah, I think, I would still be, you know, rooting for Charles to at least get in the top three. Um, and yeah, I think if he didn't, again, this this curse is already a real thing. But the longer it goes on, you know, the kind of the more we talk about it every year coming into mm-hmm. it. So um, yeah, I just hope, I just generally hope for him and for Ferrari, it can be kind of a, uh, a fresh start. He will have to slay the dragon that is the king of the streets, aka Sergio Perez, who has obviously had great success at this racetrack. Um, a little drama at this racetrack. If you remember a year ago, it was revealed that um, some people from Verstappen's camp believe that Checo crashed on purpose during qualifying, uh, and that did not end well for Max Verstappen. As you know, being P1 uh, is an unbelievable advantage on this circuit. Lawrence, what are your anticipations from Team Red Bull? Um, they They should be on pole. They should win the race. That's the, the short. I was trying work. to give the more optimistic. Yeah. I was trying to give the more optimistic version. There's a but, yeah, Sky Sports still, first a broadcast there, so don't watch. There's <laughs> there's a but, but um, if you look at where Rebel have been in qualifying so far this year, um, the other teams have been much closer in qualifying than they have in the race. So if someone can get ahead, and we saw in um, Baku that Leclerc was able to qualify ahead of Red Bull. Guess what? Another street circuit. You know, um, there's big differences between the two street circuits, but there's a reason to believe that the Ferrari could be quite good around Monaco as well. There's also reasons to believe that Aston Martin will be quite good around Monaco. If Mercedes upgrades work, they could be quite good around Monaco. So mm-hmm. it could take, you know, it, it, it could happen. It really could happen. And if you look um, last year when you think, you know, how good uh, the Red Bull was, well, as you mentioned, um, there was uh, a little incident with Sergio Perez just at the end of qualifying that uh, blocked the track with a, re- with a red flag and it meant that Max couldn't complete his flying lap, which may or may not have been good enough for pole position. We will never know. Um, but that kind of thing happens in Monaco. And so that's why Verstappen was so upset about that um, that theory that went around afterwards. Uh, yeah, some people, um, the Dutch media seemed fairly convinced that Perez admitted that he crashed on purpose to Red Bull. Uh, Perez flat out denied that when uh, he was asked that question by a number of us in Abu Dhabi after it all kicked off following the Brazilian Grand Prix when we found out that Verstappen was holding this grudge or appeared to be holding this grudge. Um, So all of that can happen at Monaco, which is why it's so exciting. And it's why, like Nate said earlier on, the Saturday at Monaco is one of the best 
best days in the Formula One calendar because you have all the drivers going flat out around a track where a tiny mistake leads to huge consequences. And you do occasionally get uh, a mix-up grid. And if we get that mix-up grid, uh, I don't care how good the Red Bull's race pace is. If it's stuck um, in traffic and uh, the other teams don't mess up their strategy, then there's every belief, there's every reason to believe that the, the Red Bull won't be able to progress and, and, and win the race. And so we could have our first non-Red Bull victory of the year. So, um, yeah, I mean, there you go. I was just, just trying to you know lay it out at the start that the reality is the Red Bull is the quickest car. But Thank you. because it's Monaco, which often gets slated for not being very exciting, there is a, a, a real reason to believe that uh, we could have a different result here. Listeners, viewers are sighing in relief. Now they will watch. Thank you for qualifying that. <laughs> uh, in case you don't recognize the new look McLarens on track, you will, but they have a new livery that they're bringing to Monaco to celebrate 50 years of the Triple Crown. It looks beautiful. Humble plug here. Our own Nate Saunders is going to sit down with Lando Norris and they're going to have a conversation. So check back on all of our socials for that exclusive conversation when we drop it. Um, but what kind of, I guess, pub is this, Nate, for for McLaren bringing? Um, a little bit of rainbow was on there, I saw. Um, they did a nice job with it. Yeah, I, when I first saw it, I wasn't a big fan, but I've, I've seen it from the different angles and it's growing on me. And you I never... <clears throat> yeah. I never like I never like criticizing one-off liveries too much because one thing I've bored Lawrence to death with over the years is how much I think uh, F1 teams should do an NFL kind of style color rush kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, at different races. So I think it's always cool when teams try something different. You know, it might not be exactly what you want it to be, but you know, it. I think the one thing here that is a shame is that McLaren set the bar so high a few years ago with that golf livery that they had at Monaco um, that it's just it's just so difficult to. Uh, to match that um, but yeah you know, it looks nice and um, obviously it's you know later that day McLaren's best chance of winning something I would say uh, on Sunday is probably not going to be in Monaco probably going to be uh, the other side of the Atlantic in Indianapolis and um, the McLaren cars there are also running a kind of triple crown uh, livery there as well so um, exciting times for um, McLaren at the weekend um, but who knows I mean you know we could see something surprising we haven't seen mclaren cause too many uh upsets this season but um but no it looks good and um i think teams should be doing this kind of thing all the time and just to explain the reason for the livery because it does it looks mm -hmm. a little bit messy i think especially with the google chrome wheels with the different colors i'm not sure but they just remember all your but passwords they, as they're as they're going around so <laughs> but that's the thing and as they move faster you kind of you don't notice them so much anyway um they will become blurred but the yeah the reason for it is that um they are celebrating themselves as the only team to have won a triple crown and so mm -hmm. the front of uh the nose cone is black it might be bare on fiber i don't know how it's in it and that uh references the 1995 mclaren f1 gtr that won the le mans 24 hours and then the middle bit um is white which is not particularly exciting but uh, if you look at the way the design is kind of locked together they're chevrons and those chevrons mimic the old marlboro um livery that used to be on the car uh when mclaren won um many Monaco Grand Prix, but I think the first one was in 1984 with Alain Prost. And then the rear of the car is um, the papaya orange, which we've become used to in recent years on McLarens, but actually harks back to their original racing colour and the 1974 Indy 500 Johnny Rutherford car um, that won, uh, yeah, the Indy 500 in 1974. So um, that's the reason for this weird mishmash. And I'm not sure it works that well. It's like all things, isn't it? When you're trying to bring three ideas together in one it's always kind of a bit of a compromise 
um but uh, at least it has some meaning to it uh you know it's uh, it, it's got its own kind of story which uh for a team like mclaren it's not been a great season that's the time to lean on the history right to remind everyone that mm-hmm. you were Absolutely. once great you plan to be great again uh so yeah i think that's that's the thinking behind it 60 years of mclaren as well we should say they've been around 60 years yeah a little bit of hodgepodge is what I feel like you are describing to us. Um, that was a much been more doing... succinct way of saying what we <laughs> took a lot longer. Hodgepodge. I wish I could, I wish I'd said hodgepodge now. I kind of feel. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, they gave us a sit down, unlapped a sit down with Lando Norris, well, and then both I don't of them are just like, delivery is not great. <laughs> we might we might find an email tomorrow morning being like, uh, yeah, Lando's unavailable, guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, while you guys were <laughs> describing delivery, I was doing some calculations. And after I hit the trifecta uh, from Imola, I am now winning as it pertains to their predictions. Um, no, neither one of you are going to rebuke that. Just going to say that I hit it since we didn't even have a race. No. As it stands, Nate, you currently are top of the leaderboard. Lawrence, a close second, and then I am rounding out the bottom in third. Please give me your predictions for the Monaco Grand Prix. Lawrence, we'll start with you. Oh, I go first. I thought Nate went first um, because he's he's leading the championship. Or, or Katie, now that you put yourself at the top of the championship, maybe you should go first. Fair. Okay, I will. I'm going to take Sergio Perez. Nice. P1. Max Verstappen. P2. It's the big one. Are you going to end the curse or are you going to Oh, I had Charles on the podium in Imola because I was hoping for some momentum. No, I'm not, Nate. I'm going to put Lewis P3. Oh, nice. Do we feel... All right, I'm going with it. Sergio, Max, Lewis. Boom. All right, Lawrence, now you. Okay. I'm going to go Leclerc P1. End wow. Uh, qualifies on pole and uh, sticks it there. Max Verstappen... Second, and then to stand any chance of getting a correct result here, Fernando Alonso third because he always comes third, right? So there we go. Lawrence purely does head calculations. I do heart calculations. Okay, Nate. I'm not sure what you'd class this one. I don't know if it's head, heart, or something else. Um, so Stomach. I'm going to say third. I'm going to go in reverse order for for drama. Third Ooh. place. I'm going to put Sergio Perez. Okay. Second for place. Drama. I'm going to say Charles Leclerc ends kind of, you know, mildly ends the curse. And in first place, anyone who's listened to this podcast cannot be surprised that I'm going to say Fernando Alonso is winning, winning the race. This is he he's wow. even tweeted. He's even tweeted the date. If you add the two numbers of the the date together, it makes his race number. It's been almost exactly 10 years since he won a race. The stars are aligning. I thought that was a sarcastic Ode to your drama. Wait, no, sorry. Five, sorry. Wait, it's his race numbers numbers five, isn't it? His, if you add, if you you add the two numbers together, it will equal the the race win that it will be for him. That's what I meant. Ah. The 33rd race win. Sorry. For a second, I could see Lawrence's brain just like flipping around (laughs) 360 suddenly. As as Um, clunky as that was, do you still want to (laughs) keep your top pick? Yeah, I feel like I. I feel like after the, the dramatic build-up, I completely ruined it. But yeah, no, absolutely. I'm saying Alonso, Charles, and then Perez. Um, and then, I guess, Max, who knows where he'll finish. Very optimistic. I want to watch that race. That, that race sounds great. It yeah. does. I, yeah. yeah, I hope that that hasn't set the bar too high for the race we're going to get. But who knows? We'll see. 
Well, you have set that bar high. And if it doesn't come to fruition, then we're all going to blame you next week. So there you have it. Those are our predictions. When are you two going to the South of France? And I can live vicariously through the two of you. Uh, tomorrow. I think we're on different flights, aren't we? But tomorrow we'll both yep. be there. Do you generally yeah, travel on the same flights if you're going to the same race? Actually, uh, not, as, not as often as you'd think. Um, we kind of so a, a, good, a good reason would be if there's breaking news that we're both on different flights, but the reality is we're just not that organized. And we live <laughs> yeah. in slightly different parts of the country, so different airports make different sense. But yeah, um, I think it's just lack of organization. But no, not usually. Yeah. Usually That's the same one back, I would say. Same one back usually. But um, yeah, out there, quite rarely. Um, Have a blast. Travel safe. Can't wait to see what happens in Monaco. Thank you all for listening, watching. Make sure you subscribe to ESPN uh, F1 channel for more F1 content and give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Cheers, enjoy. <laughs>